Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. She's Sarah Timon. And a big welcome back to new father, Nick Wolf. Uh, his son's name, Charlie. Very exciting. Apparently, he was a, quite a large kid when he was born, is what he uh, had told me. So welcome back, my friend. We're glad to have you here. And Gabe did a great job filling in while you were gone. Uh, we are streaming live on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And again, we all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. So, ladies, uh, first show of the new year. We got some interesting stuff to talk about here. The, the first thing, I, I, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this, especially knowing where we live. And there was an article that came out on Inman News, uh, but this isn't the first article. This is the one that kind of got me thinking about this, about climate change affecting the real estate market. And the, the reason this came up is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are starting to talk about this, that it might affect values. It's going to affect the market moving forward. And it's not just here. I mean, you, you think about all the things that are going on where we're located, but you, know, you look at places like California where they have like wildfires, right? And I mean, that dramatically affects the values of, of properties. So is this something people need to start worrying about? Like, what do you think here? Because I, I don't know that anyone really talks about this. I've got some things I've seen, but what, what are you seeing right now? Do people talk about this? Are they worried about these sort of things? The only thing that I really hear come up locally around here would be if or you're in a flood zone or not in a flood zone and how that would affect it, but not really looking beyond, okay, I'm not in a flood zone, but a flood could, could still come. Cause as we know, you know, we've, we've been hit by things that these previous maps and, and projections have, have gone beyond. So I'd say locally, that's really the extent of what I've heard. Um, but I'm not surprised that they're, they're looking into this further. Have you have you shown a home or had anyone buy or sell a home that was in a flood zone or talk a little bit about that? Because I don't think people realize how common they are around here. It's way more common than I would have thought before I got into real estate. Yeah, I've shown homes that were in flood zones. I'm trying to think if we ever went under contract for one or not. I know in any instance where one pops up, if I have a client that's interested, I immediately have them um, speak to um you know, their, their insurance company, um, just to find out how that impacts and what that does to their, their monthly payment. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's pretty expensive too. I know we had a uh, Karen Hamill on with Alliances Insurance and, and Kevin is actually introduced Sarah and I in, in a weird way. And, um, they have the ability to get private flood insurance, which is way more affordable. You're talking about like six, $8,000 a year, which dramatically decreases your affordability for a home. So, you know, to me, that's just going to, make the home sell for less is really what, what it's going to come down to. Right. Yeah, I agree. I've shown numerous homes in flood zones. You have to be careful, you know, and you just have to bring it to the attention of the buyers, especially if they're new buyers or first time home buyers and they're all excited about a home and they find out it's in a flood zone and you have to educate them on what that means and how it could impact their monthly payment and to definitely investigate um, flood insurance. Because as you said, Tom you could uh, just price them right out. Typically they steer clear of that one. Um, but there's some really great homes along the Brandywine. Mm -hmm. I mean, some really cool houses um, that I've seen and and people still buy them, snap them up. So. I've also seen cases where on the sell side where I've worked with somebody who 
They are listed as being in a flood zone, but the issue had been dealt with years and years ago um, as, in terms of kind of rerouting stuff um, and that they haven't had any issues, um, you know, in 10, 15 years, but that at one point it was still like said it was in a flood zone and you still have to, you know, pay for that. So, that, I mean, that, that's definitely accurate because I, I've sold a couple homes that were in, I mean, we're talking in places like Tredefron East Town, Downingtown, mm-hmm. Maniunk and Roxborough. I mean, the, the, I think the Maniunk Brew Club floods like every time there's a storm, like no yeah. matter what happens. And there's houses right across the street. So th- there's homes here, I mean, even in Wynwood, and you wouldn't expect that, but there's a creek back there. It's Indian Creek and and it, it rises up. So th- there are issues that, that that come up that people don't take uh, take into account. So the, the reason the reason this got brought up, and, and I wanted to talk locally real quick, and the, you also think of places like South Philly, where the basements flood all the time. There's a rainstorm. Uh, do, do you run do you run into that at all in your neighbors? So we had not had any issues for years, and then there was a storm not too long ago that we had some water come in. Okay, so I mean, th- th- this affects more people than you think because you wouldn't think of the city of Philadelphia as like in a flood zone, right? Mm-hmm, now, right. Some of these places along rivers a little different, but Wimwood was one that shocked me, and you don't realize there's a creek back there, so. The reason this came up is the FHFA. So what the FHFA is, is the Federal Housing Finance Agency um, had their acting director, Sandra Thompson, said they're going to have to step up their monitoring and supervision of climate change issues. And part of their conducting their their business is in a safe and sound manner. And they issue a scorecard that's intended to hold Fannie and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac accountable for fulfilling their core mission requirements, which is promoting sustainability and equitable access to affordable housing and operating in a fiscally safe and sound manner. Sounds like a bunch of corporate nonsense to me, right? Yeah. What it really means, and, and they they went into safe and sound manner because they're they're expecting those agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, to demonstrate that they have a governance structure in place to prioritize the effects of climate change through decision making. Now, I don't, I don't know what kind of decisions you can make there. Uh, but when when I think about this, I mean, I look at places and, and it was one of the things we're going to talk about is Ocean City, New Jersey. A lot of people know Ocean City, New Jersey around here. I mean, they, they have a real issue. Um, and look, I, I go to Ocean City. I own property in Ocean City. So this is very interesting to me um, that, you know, the, the, the island's sinking right now because of glaciers melting. And what had happened in the past is that the glaciers, they like popped up the island. So it was above sea level. But now it's going below sea level. And they're talking about a $200 million infrastructure improvement just to deal with uh, making sure that like Ocean City doesn't sink, literally. Um, so when, when you see issues like this, I mean, is this going to become, like, what, what does this mean moving forward? Because what they talk about with Ocean City is that by 2050, it was, the stat was pretty alarming. And they mentioned Atlantic City, not Ocean City, I'm sorry. And what they said was that out of all the days of the year, let me see if I can find this here, because this is pretty interesting. Um, here we go. Uh, so out of all the days in the year right now, by 2030, Atlantic City is going to experience 17 to 75 days of expected high tide flooding per year. And by 2050, it's 30, 30 years from now, basically, 45 to 255 days a year of expected high tide flooding. And you're talking about multi-million dollar properties that are built there, some of them right on the beach. And this is all done by um, a coastal engineer and oceanographers. I mean, this is, it's a pretty long study that was on Bloomberg. So how do you think that affects markets like that? Because I, this is the, st- I mean, have, have you guys ever heard of this before talking about this today? Like, that's my first question. I have not heard about the Atlantic City study. 
that you just cited. Not um, um, in those specific <laughs> numbers, but mm-hmm. absolutely that like the Jersey Shore might not, you know, could keep on uh, going in. So um, right. and they put the, you know, they bank the the um, beaches more. Right. Or like maybe buy a home. They dredge the beach. Yeah. That's that's like an annual thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe buy a home like a little further down and you might be oceanfront in. (laughs) Fingers crossed here, Sarah. Yeah. that's. (laughs) I'm kidding. Obviously, I think I need to say that very clearly. I mean, so but I mean, like, so we've you've been to the Jersey Shore, right? I know you've been to the Jersey Shore. I, I, I this this never's even come up. And what what I I get I get a little worried about here for people that own these huge, huge, I mean, we're talking about yeah. five, six, $10 million properties and they're financed or not. Some of them are, ca- I mean, they, they could be gone in, in 20, 30 years. I don't think anyone expects that when they buy that kind of home. So is this going to be something, whether it's wildfires and excuse me, wild fires in California, or, you know, we've had tornadoes recently here, right? I mean, we had the hurricane that, that hit in, in, in the fall. I mean, there's been so many things that have happened that are not you know, living in the greater Philadelphia area my entire life, this wasn't like a normal thing. Is this something we're going to have to start dealing with? And is it going to affect people's ability to finance and what happens with insurance and what happens with the housing market? That's really the question here. So I think for, you know, Ocean City, New Jersey, and for some of these shore towns where there is a lot of money, while it's honestly maybe a little bit unfair that a ton of money will be spent to protect those houses, I think that the a lot of the people that own them will have the wherewithal to like get ahead of it and to do things to make sure that federal money or, you know, other money is, is brought in ahead of time to at least, um, minimize some of those effects, um, versus some of these other areas where maybe it's a little bit less predictable. Cause I mean, this is, there's scientists out there, there are studies obviously like that we're talking about now that have been done that say like, this isn't a, a what if scenario, like this is what's happening. Um, some of these other, natural disasters that have spurred up more quickly, such as the tornadoes and the wildfires and some of the things that are a little bit less predictable, I think will be harder to do something ahead of time to to put a plan in place. Yeah, it's it's like the tornadoes. They're much more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and these so-called 100-year floods that happen every five to 10 years now, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're more un- unpredictable. But I do think it's going to affect going forward. Some people are just becoming more aware of it. So mm-hmm. they're asking more questions. I think for the most part, though, um, I haven't seen a whole lot of um, people that I've been working with uh, consider these to be a big issue at this point. Um, but I think it's going to trend further down the road uh, into the future as we go. Um, but I think it definitely affects insurance and your ability to get insurance on properties. It could affect a deal if a house is uninsurable or you can't get the the financing. Um, it definitely could could cancel out some deals going forward. It, when, I, when I read through the article on Inman, they really didn't have any solutions. That was the unfortunate part. And there was actually documented uh, activity by HUD, the U.S. Housing Department, where they repossessed homes in floodplains and then resold them without disclosing the flood risks to buyers, which is crazy. And that's according to an NPR investigation. So, you know, what I see is that I I think if you're in a home that floods right now or you got some sort of climate change issue, it's going to be hard to sell that property. And you're likely going to have to sell it at a discount. So if you're a buyer out there and you're looking at one of these homes and are like, wow, this is great, this is awesome, you've got to realize that that number's probably never going to go down. It's only going to go up when it comes to flood insurance. And the only way you're going to get funding, and Kyle Sutera just walked in here for Mortgage America. Maybe he can shed some light on this. 
properties in flood zones. I mean, you've got to get flood insurance to get to get a get a loan. Is that is that accurate? Correct. Yep. So we're, we're talking about climate change here. Good job, Kyle. Thank you. Um, that was good. So <laughs> I, I just see the costs only going up. So, I mean, th- these homes are going to be harder and harder to sell. So the buyers that don't know about it, like you said, or don't read the disclosure or the sellers that think it's not a big deal because they have a flood barrier they put up, they're, they're going to have a hard time. And I, I just don't I don't see these financially. I think those people are the ones that get hurt. And fortunately, for most of the homeowners in our area, we, we don't see a lot of these. I mean, I, Kyle, how many homes do you see that actually carry flood insurance? They need a flood sort of the loan due process. Very small percentage in our area. Yeah. So I mean, and I think Jersey is just a totally different story. I mean, there and, you know, New Jersey, it's going to and, you know, we don't we don't sell in New Jersey yet. We're not in the Jersey shore yet. What, what I do know is that if you look at the um, a Rutgers report, and this is pretty alarming, um, that from 1911 to 2019, the sea level rose 1.5 feet at the Jersey shore, while the change in the global mean sea level was less than half at 7.6 inches. And the rate is increasing as warming temperatures reduce glaciers, obviously, from 1979 to 2019. So a much more narrow window sea level rose at 0.2 inches per year along the Jersey coast compared to point Jersey coast, excuse me, compared to an average rate of 0.1 inches per year globally. So, I mean, the Jersey shore is in trouble. Like, I, I don't know how to slice it. So you guys do business. Have you, have you done any loans in, in Jersey? I know your dad has, and, and your company has, have, have you gotten that for yet or? Yeah. Yeah, so what, what's the process like when you're at the shore? I mean, is it a little different and what, what are you kind of seeing people run into? It can be. Uh, it definitely can be um, flood insurance. You know, if you're in a flood zone, you have to you have to get flood insurance. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the difference between the the federally required insurance versus private um, can can really be a, a difference in in pricing. I'm not sure if you guys talked about that before I sat down. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is if you're in a flood zone, you have to get it. And uh, at that point, if you want the house enough, people are figuring it out. So we don't see it blow up a lot of deals personally mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but we'll see where the premiums go from here. Yeah, that, that's it. And you had a good point. And so did you, Sarah, that people usually have money if they're buying a second home. So they're, they're willing to, they kind of know what they're getting into. So, you know, 10 years from now, are we going to be talking more about climate change in these transactions here locally or, or more? I mean, we know that there's some issues in other places. What do you guys anticipate happening here? Because I, I don't see this going the other way. I mean, there's got to be some significant infrastructure changes, which I don't see happening. So, uh, is this going to be a bigger issue as time moves on or, or what, what do you, what do you see in the future here in your crystal ball? I mean, I would say as these different events continue to occur because they will, um, and people come to the realization that it's not just a, a one-time thing or, or whatnot, as they start to become more regular, I think, you know, some additional, Planning will be put into place for different communities, um, maybe rerouting in, in our area for for floods. Um, maybe they'll be doing some additional work to try and, um, you know, direct water away from the homes. But there's only so much that you can you can do there. And with all like all of that is going to come at a price. So that money is going to have to come from somewhere. Um, so I think that we'll see, you know, just different planning put in into this type of of events. Yeah, it's going to be more um, community-based, I think. People that are directly affected by these uh, conditions, especially at the Jersey Shore. Um, because if you look, 2030 is not that far away. Right. And there's going to be major mm-hmm. differences by that point. So right now, there should be planning and things put in place and um, and money allocated. 
But as far as the federal government taking care of these issues, I don't foresee that happening. I think that's why it's going to scale down to a very local level to people who are directly affected, you know, raising their hands and yelling at the rooftops that something has to be done on a more comprehensive, um, you know, basis to to be able to control these the situations as best as possible. And I think that it's, uh, you know, FEMA and the federal government can sometimes be very delayed in changing their flood maps. So mm-hmm. what we saw a lot of the damage with this with this last hurricane that we had, um, we saw a lot of homes that were not in flood plains that did not require flood insurance get flooded. So I think it's going to come down to the more that we see this stuff and the more people realize that it's not always up to the government to protect it. It kind of can go on the individual homeowner or home buyer of, okay, we understand you don't need flood insurance, but should you get it? And that yeah. can only sometimes come from having it happen to you or someone that you know. Um, but I think that our area finally, maybe not finally, but we saw it very close this time around this past year. And I think that as time goes on and as these things continue to happen, um, you know, hopefully we'll take a little bit of ownership in it on our own as well. Yeah, I, I equate that to people that get an umbrella policy, right? Like it's like the smartest piece of insurance you can get and it's really cheap, but it protects you against so much stuff. It's like, do you need it? Well, no, you don't need it, but it's probably really smart to get it. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's a great point that you're going to see more and more people do that. So the last thing I want to hit on here is, are we going to see infrastructure changes? And, and the reason I say that is there was um, something that I found. Um, it's on about a, a Dutch community in the Netherlands, and they were faced with housing shortages and worse floods. Sounds kind of similar to, to the Jersey Shore. And they're now building floating homes. Uh, so to give you an idea of what this is, uh, this is back. Uh, it, it's uh, it's called Schoonship in Amsterdam. And these properties, I mean, and it's it's wild to see the pictures of them because they're literally built right on the water. Uh, they're built on top of steel foundational pillars that are attached to the land and to infrastructure like sewer. And when there's a storm or, or a hurricane or something like that, the houses will actually like rise and fall with the water, which is, which is pretty crazy to me. And and the fact that why isn't the United States doing this? Uh, I, I mean, you know, it seems like we're always behind the curve on these things. And these can be constructed on any shoreline and they can cope with rising seas or rain induced floods. So, And it's not like a houseboat that, that'll like a houseboat. I mean, like a hurricane comes that thing's like on the other side of the of, of the ocean. Um, so do, do, you, do you see any of this coming soon in the U.S.? I mean, that, that it seems like we're always way behind on this stuff. Um, what, what do you guys think about this? This was really intriguing to me. It looks like it would be a great idea. I wonder how cost effective it is as far as construction. So again, it would be prime uh, waterfront property. So, <laughs> so people who have money can, you know, definitely go this avenue. But I, yeah, again, why aren't we doing this? I mean, who doesn't want to live on the water? I think right. that's the big question. Yes. And and what that what they and and there's some there's some issues here too. I mean, if you go deeper on on this concept that um, there there's zoning laws that need to get updated. There's who owns the land? Is it like a condo? I mean, there, there's so many different things that that could be factored in. The point is, there's a solution here that I, I think would solve a lot of the issues down at the Jersey Shore. And and again, I imagine that's going to you know the the, the homeowners are going to pony up and pay and protect their investment down there. I, I just don't understand why the U.S. doesn't do this stuff sooner. It, it just We're always behind the curve on these things, which is, which is a little disappointing in a lot of ways. I would be curious to see, and it said that, I mean, I think it talked in the article about that it was going to be 
doing like the way that they were building them and the way that they were putting everything in place, it was still going to protect the marine life or not have a huge impact there. But mm -hmm. I would be curious to see, you know, what types of obstacles um, you'd have to overcome for people who don't want to see that, uh, you know, going out into the marine right there, um, as well as what these like storm wise, um, you know, we've seen stronger, fiercer storms over the last, you know, several years. Like what it's saying that it holds. I mean, obviously, it's going to hold up better than a houseboat. It's going to it's going to move there with the rise and fall of the water. But like if there's, you know, a really wild storm, what's that going to look like? And then what's that going to do pollution wise to the environment right there? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's something that's it's interesting. It's it reminded me when I first was looking at it. I mean, obviously, this is way more advanced. But do you guys remember that movie? Is it Waterworld? Where there's only like a couple people that are still like living on little like boats that are like put together. Um, so it's, a great movie. it's like a fancy Waterworld. Should we get Kevin Costner on the show? He could tell us about this. No, I, I don't. I think you had a good point. And I mean, these are, you know, these, this, these are built in like, in, you know, like places where there's most homes only sit like a meter above sea level. So uh, but th there are issues. I mean, they said when a cruise ship passes or, you know, if there's a storm and you can kind of feel like when you're on a boat and you get that like kind of motion sickness mm -hmm. a little bit, like you, you do feel that in the homes. Um, and, you know, to me, I mean, if they're going to do this, I see this like being on like the bay, not on the beach. Right. Because you're going to be able to, have to like yeah. tap into the land and, and everything else. And, and, and the point is that you know, science and engineering are so far ahead now. I'm clear there is a solution and we can eliminate some of the issues we see. But th this is it, it's just going to cost more money. That's really all it comes down to. I mean, I, I, don't, I think that that's kind of the short of it here. And you're going to see some maybe more forced insurance requirements, like you said, Kyle. So that was really good stuff. I thought it was also interesting. It, it made a comment about this being like the biggest advance since the elevator, which, you know, had cities and different areas go upward. And now this would be a new way to expand, expand out. So, um, yeah, I'd be curious to kind of keep an eye on this and see how see how everything goes and and if it does end up coming our way. It's it's neat. There's a rendering also about a f that depicts a floating city mm -hmm. that, that's you know planned out here, um, which I think is fascinating. And it also says that floating homes could help make up the shortage of land that is suitable for development. So, um, you know, with the home shortages as we have uh, here uh, right. on land, um, maybe these floating cities um, is definitely something that we really should uh, look into further for sure. And think about some of these countries where, I mean, they have a lot more coastline than the U.S. The U.S. has a lot of coastline, but it's got a lot of land mass as well. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're out in St. Louis. You're not worried about this stuff. It's more like for pe people like we are on like the east and west coast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the most interesting thing I find from this is that the rent, it all looks great. It's, it's great in theory. It's going to cost money, number one. And then you're also going to have to get people that are that are going to be OK with it. And if you think about some of these towns, right, let's use Ocean City as an example. Mm -hmm. They still don't let you have an alcoholic beverage on the island and the old people down there complain about this all the time. And you're laughing, but I know, I, it's, it's true. I know. It, you know, any, anytime any older area gets developed, the, the homeowners freak out. I mean, you know, in Ardmore, when Carl Dranoff built Ardmore one, it's a couple, they had board meetings till like three in the morning after it was already approved and people were just complaining. So it's, it, that, that's going to be, I think the biggest obstacle is getting people, the, the, the existing owners to be okay with it. And that's probably why nothing's been done here in the States. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. We'll leave it there, Stacey. So on that note, we're going to come right back. Uh, we're going to talk about what the Fed did in December, what that means for the market, 
This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. And we have Super Lender, the number one PHFA lender, Mortgage America, and Kyle Sutera in the house. Thank you, my friend, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Especially on short notice because our other guests canceled. So I know you were our, our go-to here. So that that's awesome. I'm here. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so what we want to talk about next and... To me, this is something that like went totally off the radar in December. And in the past, this is all people would be talking about, is that the, the Fed had their end-of-year meeting. And during the end-of-year meeting, uh, they went through and they kind of detailed that they have some strategies moving ahead, especially with the state of the economy. And obviously, all that's going to affect the, the housing market. So to give you kind of, of a summary here in layman's terms, because this stuff gets pretty complicated unless you have like an economics degree or you're in the day to day, is that at the meeting, the Fed announced they're leaving the federal funds rate at a range of zero to 0.25%. And that follows their decision to hold rates near zero until the economy fully weathered the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, which now appears to be never ending. So uh, knowing, and, and I think that's really relevant going into almost year two of this. And, and what, what came out of it was that the Fed is going to double the pace of tapering. So if you don't know what tapering is, and this is where it gets a little convoluted, uh, it's winding down bond purchases that the Fed is making on, on the government level. And that pulls back the economic stimulus they've been providing since the pandemic hit, uh, meaning that you know when, when they do that, it, it causes rates to go lower, especially long term interest rates. And that's tip and that'll affect the, the yield on the 10 year T-bill, which in turn causes mortgage rates to go lower. So. They're basically stimulating the economy from a policy standpoint. And Kyle, feel free to jump in here because I know you understand this probably be better than most people. So that was one of the big takeaways coming out of this. And, and what that means is that for mortgages, the anticipation is they're going to raise the, the, the rate anywhere between two and four times this next year. 
Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly because they got to make that decision. I, I think the consensus is three, but they've said between two and four times. And because they're not going to be buying the mortgage-backed securities to steady the market and keep rates low, we're going to see rates go up. And obviously that, that, that has a, a massive effect on what happens in the housing market. So why don't we start there? So assuming they do this and rates go up, I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you see that means for people looking to make a decision Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, and, and how's that going to affect the market? Yeah, I mean, and you hit the nail on the head. It's um, it, what they're doing is they're kind of taking off the accelerator. They're taking off the gas a little bit of all the practices that they put in place back in 2020. When we had a little bit of a turbulent economy, the Fed stepped in, lowered their rate, started buying bonds. It did everything that they could to to spur the market to keep the economy uh, moving. Now, what's resulted from that is, you know, the economy has been been solid. Uh, but we've also seen a little bit of inflation, right? So now that things have balanced out a little bit, I think they're they're leaning more towards the let's tackle the inflation thing, right? Let's not have that get out of hand, which means tapering off the bond buying, which means allowing them to raise their interest rate. So they've already announced that you know they're planning to taper the bond buying off essentially to zero by March, which opens them up for a rate hike as as soon as mid March. Um, we are expecting to possibly three throughout the year. So what that means is, I mean, the sooner the better, right? Um, there's there's no doubt the markets are already starting to react to the news. Once it actually all starts going down in March, um, we do expect raises, rates to go up. Now, are they going to explode and skyrocket? We don't think so. We, we do expect kind of a slow, steady transfer. Um, you know, but that's what the Fed's job is. It's their, it's their job to balance everything out. Um, and, you know, I hear a lot of people trying to compare this situation to 2008 and, you know, oh, well, I'm just going to wait for the bubble to pop or I'm going to wait for the prices to, to plummet. Um, but the reality is that, you know, in the housing market, the opposite of inflation is not necessarily deflation, right? Just because the Fed's doing what they can to quell inflation doesn't mean we're going to pop this bubble and, and everything's going to drop. I do think that home price wise, we're kind of at the new status quo. Um, I don't think things are going to just automatically go down overnight. Um, so, you know, the Fed is doing everything that they can to control it, whereas in 2008, they had no ability to control it. Um, so I think the overarching lesson here is we're going to watch rates go up. We don't expect to see housing prices come down. So as soon as you can get in, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3, I think the sooner the better. So I, I think you bring up a good point. I, I want Stacy and Sarah to chime in on this, is that normally when rates go up, you see demand pull back in the market. I don't see any possible way that happens in 2022, given the current inventory levels and the buyers that are still trying to find something. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of get some, some intel from you two, because you're in, in it working with buyers and, and Kyle, you as well. Are there still people out there that were here maybe a year ago? two years ago, and maybe they were scared of the pandemic or they were just uncertain, or maybe they just weren't ready to buy, which is the case in, 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 in a lot of situations, because I don't see with inventory floating from a month plus or minus really a month supply in the suburbs and about two months in the city. I, I just can't see any way that a little bit of a rate bump is going to stop demand. I think it's going to maybe cause the market to slow down. And when I say slow down, maybe taking a week for a home to sell instead of two days. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say for people where you're going to see it a little bit more would be people that were really pushing the envelope um, for what they were looking for at the rate that they had been looking at. So if the rates go up a little bit and they were already really like, can I make this monthly payment? You know, they were already 
on the line for can I afford this or not. I think those people may have to look into a different price category. But if they're a motivated buyer there and they want to buy a house or they need to move, they're still going to do that. It's just going to affect a little bit um, maybe what their expectations for that that next home might look like. Yeah, I agree with that. And I have not seen um, a, a real change in buyer's perspective of, of rates increasing. They're still willing to continue to look for their homes and they plan on purchasing, you know, into 2022. And like you said, Tom, the people that might have been on the sidelines because of the pandemic, I'm seeing more and more of them filter into the market too. So they don't, and they really don't, they express they don't want to wait any longer because they know the rates are going to mm -hmm. go higher. So I don't see 2022 being a year where buyers are just going to stop looking. I think if anything, they're going to increase and they're going to really kick up their, their prospecting opportunities for buying their home. And what I've seen too with sellers is they don't want to miss the market because they know that, you know, if rates go like the end of the year is not, I mean, the end of the year, typically seasonally, we do about 60% of our business before June 30th each year. I mean, that's at our firm historically for the 21 years I've been doing this. And I, sellers are really cognizant of this because we're already seeing that the terms and offers are changing. Like you can get a home inspection right now. That's, that's a thing again, which mm -hmm. it wasn't for about a good 18 months. I mean, I've had conversations with both of you ladies where the buyer's not waiving the home inspection. They're not getting the house. Like you basically had to say, I'm buying this house no matter what. And here's 5% to prove the point. Mm -hmm. in 20, especially end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So uh, sellers are, are really cognizant of this. If they, if they know what's going on, H how many clients are you seeing that this isn't on their radar and they still think it's going to be a great market for, from the seller side or buyers who are just kind of aloof to the situation? Because I'm worried there's a lot of people that don't, it, not, they don't even know what's happening right now. They just, they just hear, oh, the, the market's great. And, and they don't really put the, put the research into it. It, that's a tough one because the buyers that um, I've been working with lately have been involved in major multiple offer situations and people waiving inspections still. Well, well but before they get to that, yeah. let's say right. before that happens, mm -hmm. like you, you get off the phone with somebody or maybe they've been looking online because once that happens, people learn pretty quickly has been my right. experience. Yeah. How, how would it, was it like one out of two? No, what's going like, give us just kind of your, your gut reaction of what people are seeing, because I'm, I'm clear we have an obligation to get this message out there. As far as um, but they they're they're aloof to what's happening, like they don't yeah. they don't realize yes. that rates are going up or th there's these there's these changes in the headwinds. Yeah, they're aloof. They still think it's still, you know, that 2020, 20, early 2020 market. It. Yeah. Um, so you just have to tell them exactly what's going on in the market now. Um, bring them up to the times and <laughs> uh, bring them up to speed. And like you said, Tom, they do catch on quickly, you know, after you sit down and talk to them for a little bit. But as far as sellers are concerned, yes, they are definitely not monitoring what's going on mm -hmm. in the market today. They still think they're going to, you know, have their uh, price point. You know, they, they want 100000 over asking and, you know, waiving all inspections and appraisal contingencies and mm -hmm. things like that. So you have to really educate the sellers about what's going on in the market today mm -hmm. and where it's going, you know, moving forward as interest <laughs> rates increase. And get them into realistic expectations. Because if you don't have their expectations in check from the beginning, it could spell, uh, you know, a really sticky situation later down the line. I, yeah. I'd say, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say for sellers still thinking that the market is what it was a little bit ago. Um, you know, I've, I recently had somebody who we went under contract 
They got over ask. They did have to do inspections, but everything panned out to, at the end of the day, a really, a really good offer and a good deal. But their thought process was that they shouldn't have had to do anything, you know. So um, I think, you know, making sure that everyone is on the same page as what for what's currently going on is definitely important so that you can see a good a good deal when it when it comes your way and not expect something over and above what's currently going on. You both said setting the right expectations. And I want Kyle, I want to get your take next on this from the from the lending side, because I think that's all equally relevant. Um, and if you're not having those tough conversations up front, you're right. You get into these situations where people don't make logical decisions. They don't want to hear what you have to say. And that's obviously how we train our people on our team. So if you're, you're thinking about getting into real estate, check out our scholarship program. It's, it's realestatescholarshipprogram.com. More importantly, you're making it easier on yourself as an agent and easier to have that conversation again, because I found that in this kind of market, you have to have the same conversation over and over and over again, because what's on the news or what people are reading, or there's a philly.com article that says, oh, it's, it's, it's a tough market for buyers. They're not in the day to day. And the sellers that don't realize this, they're the ones, they're the ones that are going to lose because there's an opportunity right now. I see in the next three, four months, like before the end of April, you get your home on the market. There's so many people out there looking and it's, it shows well, it's marketed properly and it's, uh, it's, it's priced accordingly. There's, there's going to be competition. I don't know if that's going to happen after we get through this spring market here. And, and we know that May is the month that listings peak for the year. Historically take 2020 out of it. I, you know, I, I would be very nervous if I was a seller planning to sell later in the year right now. So what do you think about the lender side? Like what, what, do, what like what do the borrowers come to you with? Because yeah. I'm sure that's a whole nother can it, of worms. It is. It's a little bit of a different ballgame than than you guys. But um, even the savvy buyers, uh, you know, the savvy buyers are coming into this knowing, you know, with the with their ears on the on the pulse, knowing that interest rates are going up. Um, but even them, when you show it to them, it doesn't really become real until you show it to them on paper and you explain, OK, I understand that, you know, two months ago we were talking about a 2.875 rate and today we're talking about a three and a quarter. Um, but until you show that to them on paper, most buyers, they, they can't fully comprehend it. Um, and for the the less savvy buyers or someone who may have been working with a lender that doesn't give them every all of the information that they need up front, a lot of buyers think, OK, they got a pre-approval a few months ago. Um, that lender ran them a cost worksheet with a 3% rate. That's their rate. They, and they, no matter what happens in the market, you know, we'll find them a house in a few months and, and they're still obviously going to get that rate. Right. Uh, not right at all because we can't lock an interest rate until you have a contract mm -hmm. in the house. So, um, it, from my end, it's really important that I, and you guys as, as real estate agents keep in contact with the buyers, make sure that they know what's going on, make sure that we're updating their pre-approvals and numbers. Um, because, once they see that rate go up a quarter of a percent and they see what that does to their monthly payment, it becomes pretty tangible. And, and it'll, it, it'll definitely help people uh, you know, realize how important it is to, to try to get in while, while things are still low. Do you equate that to them and how much it changes their payment? Because I, to me, that's the only way to I show do. somebody. Yeah. And, I, I, and I'm asking that because I don't, people don't realize like what an eighth of a point does or a quarter of a point does. And you know, for, let's say they're in like a rental right now, right? So not only have they waited and they're paying someone else's mortgage, right? And prices are now going up. So it's going to cost more anyway. And then the payments up. I mean, th this is a recipe for disaster for a lot of people. And they're just, it's going to limit your buyer pool as a seller because affordability, I mean, these are still the most, the lowest rates in history with the exception of like the past two years when they were yeah. in the two. Oh yeah. We're, it, 
like I said, we don't expect it to skyrocket overnight. I mean, everything points to 2022 still being an extremely strong year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, for the mortgage industry as well, um, they're just, I, I mean, we're, like you said, we've been at record lows. Anytime you give someone that big of a chunk of cake <laughs> and then try to take some of it away, it's it gets a little bit tough. But uh, no, things are still going to be in really good shape. It's just, yeah, it's those fringe buyers or the ones that are really hypersensitive to monthly payment um, that are going to get you know, a little bit more burnt than, than they would have if they, you know, got a little bit more serious about it right now. And some people are just competitive with their friends. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, my friend got a 2.875 right yeah. last year when they closed on their home. And now we're up to, you know, three point whatever. So it's, it's funny when you listen to some people talk about the interest rates and I'm like, it's still great rates. I mean, no matter if you're in the low threes, yeah. you know, when I first bought my home, it was 11.99. So, yeah, you know, yeah. that's like crazy. <laughs> well, and you bring up a good point that I, you know, my view is, and, and when you study a lot of people that have success in life, they, they always credit luck in a lot of cases. This is pure luck locking in a rate at 2.875 because you found the right house, which is hard. And how hard is it finding the right house, ladies? Oh, oh. Yes. Okay. Did you hear that tonality? It was so you found the right house mm-hmm. at the right time when inventory was very low. Mm-hmm. So and and competition's at an all time high. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be hard to reproduce that. So instead of trying to get lucky again, I would encourage everyone listening and, and feel free to chime in here. Instead of being lucky, just meet with someone who's going, to, who's going to tell you the best way it plays out for you in the market. Because right now, if I was even thinking about making a real estate decision in the next eighteen months. I'd be talking to an agent now because if you're not ahead of it, I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's clear affordability is going to drop. And think about those people that stretch. They, people always stretch their highest amount. I mean, is that is that pretty they fair? Do. They do. So they don't initially a lot of times they're like, no, I'm not going there. Right. And then, and then they do. And sometimes they do. You know why? Because moving sucks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no one wants to move. Selling a house also sucks. I mean, it's it's not easy having to get out of there. So when you're making the move, you want to make it the best possible move. So I, my accountant told me when I was uh, like my first year in real estate, he said, when, when, whenever you make a decision, always make the stretch because it's going to save you a ton of money, meaning transaction costs, meaning the hassle of moving, right? Like all these things, like, I, I mean, look, we got a lot of parents here at the table. You don't want to move with a kid. Like, I mean, if, you know, please no. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible. I mean, the amount of stuff, yeah, I've, I've done it. So, and, and I, I have more kids than both of you guys put together. So it, it's brutal. So I, I, anyone making a real estate decision in the next 18 months, I mean, should they be meeting with people now? What, what, what do you guys think here? And then we can kind of wrap this up. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the more information that you have going into it, the more you can put a plan in place and you can realize what, what it looks like when you get out there and kind of what the steps are, what's going to happen. And we've talked a lot about the cost of waiting. Um, and that's, that's a real cost. So being able to kind of break that down for people as well. Um, I think whether your time frame is, you know, you're trying to do something right away or you're looking a little bit down the line, um, get out there and get your ducks in a row. Yeah. And from the lender side, it's so important to know that the range that you're thinking and what and the idea that you have in your head of, of what can work for you is the correct one. Because even if it's, yeah, 18 months away, you don't want to spend the next year looking in a price range that ultimately yeah. is not going to work for you. Or maybe you had one little thing that you had to fix or do right and and you just waited 16 months to do it and now your search gets delayed. So from a lender's perspective, it's so important regardless of your timeline. If you think a home purchase is on the horizon at some point, let's let's talk. Let's do the pre-approval. 
And then that way you guys from the real estate side can really help them as the process continues. Yeah. I mean, and to piggyback off of what you just said there, you know, there's so many times that you'll, we'll talk to people and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not financially there yet. I need to do a little bit of stuff, blah, 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 which all is, you know, needs to happen. But especially if you think that you are somebody who wants to buy in the next 18 months, but you know that right now you're not in the financial position to do it. This still is the time to talk to the lender to figure out what you need to do to get there. Because otherwise you're starting at step one when you want to be at the finish line. How many times have you guys seen a buyer that wants to make an offer on a house and they haven't even had the conversation? Yep. yep. All the time, right? I mean, I, and um, yeah, <laughs> seven Every o'clock day. at night. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, this is what happens. And, and it, to me, you know, it, it's there, there's so many quotes about this, like proper preparation prevents poor performance. Like think about your performance in the housing market or failing to prepare or is preparing to fail. Like th- this is what happens to people. And that's why they lose out on that first home and they keep comparing it to it. So, I mean, if you're like, if you're two years out, I mean, you might need to talk to a lender now just to make sure your credit's okay. I mean, there's so many things like that. So what I'm hearing across the board is the market's changing, get the right information. And then ultimately you got to make the best decision for your household and be aware of what the fed's doing because there will be an impact here. Mm -hmm. All right. Well said, my friends, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Kyle Sutera from mortgage America is going to give us the 2022 mortgage outlook. Talk about new loan limits. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Mortgage America is the deposit MLS Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. All right, all right. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time and she's Stacey Mitchell. We've got special guest Kyle Sutera of Mortgage America. With the exception of Kyle, we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. And you can find the show streaming on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Tom Tool Sales Group. And if you got a question for the show, it's info at tooltimeradio.com. So Kyle, we wanted to talk to you about what the market's looking like in terms of mortgages, rates. There's some changes that have happened, but if you need to get in touch with Kyle, what's the website? Why don't you tell people, we'll make sure to plug it a couple times here so they know how to reach out to you. Website is www.mymortgageamerica.com. 
All right. So to me, the biggest piece of news is what's happened with loan limits. So do you want to kind of start there with the 2022 loan limits and, and what that means for people? Because this is another thing that nobody's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a big one. And, you know, the um, the powers that be, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they they set their conforming loan limits, meaning loans that that conform to their guidelines that can be insured through and, and purchased through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, they reset those that limit every year. Um, and anything above that limit goes outside of their guidelines and it becomes a non-conforming loan or, or a jumbo loan, as most people refer to it, which has slightly different guidelines, slightly different interest rates. So that line is very important for a lot of buyers. Um, conforming rates can oftentimes get better terms. They have less underwriting re- restrictions. Um, they're just a little bit more user-friendly. Um, so where that line is, it really dictates some people's approve or deny when it comes to, or at least what price range they can purchase in. Um, so, you know, we have seen it go up the past, uh, the past few years. Last year it was sitting at 548,000. They just upped it to 647,000. Um, so almost a hundred thousand dollar increase in one year, which is the, by far the largest that they've done. Um, but what that means is it opens up this whole other section of, of uh, purchase prices and homes that can that can be accessed by people with smaller down payments, more desirable interest rates, you know, a, a better debt to, debt to income ratio or more forgiving debt to income ratio. So um, that that's been huge, especially in our area. Um, and then on on the federal side, the the other type of loan program is an FHA loan. Um, they've also increased their their loan limit significantly to four hundred and seventy seven thousand. Which means even FHA buyers can be up in that you know 500 plus price range with with still very very desirable terms. Uh, so it's a game changer in our area. And yeah, no one's said a word about it. So, well, we are. That's why we <laughs> come to you every week here. So, w- can you talk a little bit about like the different rec- like down payment requirements from a conventional to a jumbo? Because again, like a lot of this stuff, we know what it means, right? And yep. also, like what you usually see in terms of the the difference in a rate if it was today, because that's mm-hmm. all we know on a jumbo versus a conventional and, and even throw FHA in there as well, just to give people some real numbers. Yeah. And, and it can vary. And I'll just preface by saying interest rates are highly, you know, specific to an individual's yes. credit scenario. And, Don't quote him on this. Is what he's Don't saying. quote me on yes. this. But um, in general, I, I mean, if you're, if today say we're sitting at a three and a quarter um, for a conventional conforming loan, that would put a jumbo loan probably somewhere around three and a half. So about a quarter of a percent. And I would say FHA probably goes about a quarter of a percent or more the opposite direction. Okay. Um, gets a little bit lower, closer to 3% if, if we're working in, in those type of increments. So, um, you know, with a jumbo program, you have a larger loan. So it's a higher monthly payment. You have a, a larger um, or a higher interest rate. So it's a higher monthly payment. And a lot of jumbo programs or non-conforming programs have a lower debt to income limit, which means that we can al- we can't allow the buyer to get a mm-hmm. higher monthly payment. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, especially when you have those buyers that are right on the fringe there. Uh, so this swing of $100,000 in allowable money that we can get these these people to keep them below the jumbo line um, can really do a lot for their monthly payments. It can do a lot for their qualifying. Uh, and also some jumbo programs require more money down, more money in reserves in the bank after you buy so they won't let people overextend themselves. Um, whereas conforming loans, uh, you know, can allow lower monthly pay. I'm sorry, lower down payments. First time buyers can go as little as 3% down um, with still very favorable, favorable terms and rates. So um, yeah, it's huge. And that, that's a big deal. So, so talk about like the, the underwriting requirements for a jumbo versus a conventional. Cause I know that also it's, 
it, it's a little different as well. It's not it's not quite it the is. same. Yeah, it's the long and short of it is that it's a little bit more strict. There's a little bit more red tape um, because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have to get a conforming loan. They have their you know national guidelines that everyone adheres to. It's it's very um, kind of boilerplate, and all banks know how to the ins and outs of them very easily. Uh, at pre-approval, we know exactly what to expect. Jumbos can be a little bit different because they're not nationally regulated. It's subject to individual banks. It's subject to individual underwriters even. So um, it can just be a little bit harder, especially when you have uh, alternative types of employment, self-employment, um, heavily commissioned or bonus-based, multiple uh, streams of income, lower credit um, can sometimes be a hard stop for jumbo loans. So uh, it's just a little bit tougher. <laughs> Well, I think that's good to hear because a lot of people don't get that. They don't understand. They mm -hmm. think, well, I make a lot of money and I have a great credit score and I don't have, a, I mean, it, they, the consumer just doesn't get it a lot of times. Right. So, but this is, so you're talking about like a hundred thousand dollar difference here, roughly in terms of loan limits is, is, is really the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yep. Have you seen people take advantage so far? Is this, I mean, is this something people they have? Yeah. Okay, good. Cause they made the announcement in December. Um, and we had, we actually had a lot of buyers that were sitting on the sidelines trying to work their way into jumbo qualifying. Maybe they had some credit work they had to do, or they were working on saving up their reserves. Um, we had quite a few buyers at this put back in the game immediately. So these new loan limits are as of three days ago. Uh, so if, if you were sitting on the bubble or, or, you know, if you didn't even know this existed, <laughs> then, then now's a good time to reach out and, you know, take advantage of it. Love it. So ladies, what questions do you have for Kyle? I mean, I know we all talk to Kyle like on a daily basis, but I'm sure there's some stuff that maybe has come up with your clients that would be, would be a good thing to kind of go over again now that we're, you know, educating people on what the 2022 market outlook is. Well, I think with a lot of uh, first time home buyers still getting into the market, can you go over the KFIT uh, program? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so KFIT is the Keystone Forgivable in 10 year assistance loan. Um, and it just came out in 2021. And I think it'll have a lot of steam coming into 22. It's, it's essentially a second loan that we can secure through the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency, PHFA. Uh, they exist to help people get into homes, basically. They, they have funding set aside for that. Um, and they dropped the, This is probably the best program that we've seen from them. Um, it's a 0% it's interest second loan. So you borrow the money. You don't actually have to pay it back monthly. It doesn't accrue any interest. It's a loan of up to 5% of the purchase price. So if they're buying a you know, $100,000 house, we can get them five grand in a side loan to help pay for their closing costs. Um, and the forgivable in 10 years part is probably the coolest feature uh, because they don't, not only does it not require monthly payback, but it's actually forgiven at 10% each year over the course of 10 years. So if that buyer ends up staying in that home for 10 years, it, that was free money for them. They never have to pay it back. Wow. If they move in five years, you know, they pay half of it back. So it's, it's huge. It's helped a lot of people who, you know, were struggling to come up with that extra money for the closing costs. Um, or, you know, didn't quite know what they needed. We've at least been able to start the conversation and explain that, you know, I know you had your target, but we have this, this thing here that can help you. Um, so yeah, it's been a huge benefit for first time buyers. Um, and I believe in Philadelphia County, you may not have to be a first time buyer to use that. Yeah, that, that is correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm aware of that. Wow. How many people do you see taking advantage of that program right now? A lot, a lot. Good. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I mean, we, we've been PHFAs, we've been in their top lenders for a long time, so we know the proper way to, to pitch it and push it. Um, so if anyone's out there is interested in it, we're happy to, to kind of, you know, walk you through it. Um, I think that PHFA as a whole, especially these secondary loans can sometimes be very confusing for both buyers and real estate agents and lenders. But, 
um, we really know the ins and outs of it. And we, we've been able to explain it and, and utilize it and still get offers accepted with it, which is the biggest trick. And what are the limitations of it? Are there any? So there are there are limitations. And that's what we do in the pre-approval stage. We go through a person's particular, like the specifics of their situation and figure out what works. There are household income limits um, and there are purchase price limits. There's credit requirements. Um, so, you know, it does have to fit the right box, but for, for buyers where it fits, it fits really well. Um, and the income limits aren't necessarily low. You know, it, the income limits multiply by household size. So the uh, a household income limit for a, a two-person household can be much different than four or five or six. So that's all stuff that it, the pre-approval is really going to help clarify it for people and determine whether they can utilize that program or not. And this is why I always advise my clients to talk to the Soteras. <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> because they'll uh, be able to see what works for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the advice you don't get from a big bank when you call the 800 number. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Kyle, again, it's mymortgageamerica.com if you want to get in touch with Kyle Sutera with Mortgage America. If you want to follow Stacy, she's on Instagram at the number two, Mitchco2, M I T C H C O. Sarah is at Ty underscore tie time, T Y underscore T Y T I M E. You can follow me on Instagram at Tom Tool Third, at Tom Tool 3RD. And again, we work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. Just Google us if you want to find the live stream on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And we'll be back next week on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.